Our scripture memory verse is listed in your bulletin. Nehemiah 4, 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Last week, we looked at, we called it Back to the Future, Building Phase 1. You'll recall the idea of Back to the Future was we'd gone all the way through Kings, then Chronicles brought us back time-wise, and then when we came to Ezra, we jumped past the time of captivity, which is where Kings ended, and we picked up the historical account from there. And in the book of Ezra, we noted that there were Israelites given permission to return to Jerusalem, and they first built an altar and initiated the, the covenantal sacrifices immediately, and then laid the groundwork for a new temple. And that's where we focused, was the laying of that groundwork. And what we saw was a distinction generationally in terms of responses to that groundwork. For there was the older people there who had been carried off into captivity when they were young, and they remember the grandeur of the first temple, which had subsequently been destroyed. And now they see this foundation, and they wept, because in their thinking, this was not going to be as great as what they remembered and they saw with their own eyes as youngsters when they were carried away. But in, right alongside of them, there, were, there was a younger generation who had known nothing but captivity. And they see the foundation, and their interpretation of the foundation is, we are free, we are back in Jerusalem, we've only heard about Jerusalem when we were in captivity, now we are a free people, we are here, and we are rebuilding a temple for God's glory. And they celebrated, and they shouted, and we noticed this distinction. And what we tried to point out in that, because it was graduation weekend, and we're so happy for all the young people who are going to be moving on. What we tried to point out was very simply that, you know what, this generation has a different perspective than those of us who've been here quite a while now. Different perspectives doesn't mean either one is wrong. We need to respect each of them. And we tried to point out that for this youngest generation who was graduating, these teenagers, one thing to be very critical is for Katcha's generation to minister to them because they're closest to them and they get at least something as to what they're dealing with. And so we have to place a high regard on Katcha's generation, those who are in their, in their say, 20s into their mid-30s, later 30s. At there it's important because they can connect better than we can. One thing I don't think I said that I think merits saying, though, as we kind of teased a little bit with, you know, the young people we'd learned in the seminar, I think... Those of our generation don't know a whole lot because we can't do handheld devices as quickly as they can. So we had some fun with that. But here's something also I think we need to keep in mind. As we, as we want to respect what's happening in this younger generation and we want somehow for them to be invested in, I want to say to the younger generation, which I wasn't real clear on last week, do not lose respect for the older generation. Because you know that incredible youth room that is there? that I defy you to find another church in a town of under 400 people anywhere near here that has a ministry like that. The leadership that Evan brings to the youth ministry for your sake to invest in your lives 
You're going to look a long way before you find a ministry in a town of 400 people that has that. That is not in any way for, to be up here and to brag. That is to encourage you as young people to ask this question. How is that? You know how that is? Because you've got people of a generation like Larry Bjorsnes who stood up here and prayed with the missionaries who have supported that. They've supported it with their blessing. They have supported it with their decisions. They have supported it with their finances. So it's easy to look at that older generation and write them off because they don't do handheld devices and take for granted what you experience here. And I am asking you, never take them for granted, but respect them for what they have from a peripheral perspective sought to see invested in your life. Is that okay? There was a distinction between the young and the older generations. We talked about it last week. Well, as we come now to Back to the Future, building phase two, rather than a distinction, now under Nehemiah, we're going to look at a connection. Because they're not building an altar, and they're not building a temple, they are going to build a wall. A wall that surrounds the temple for its protection. And the key thought that I want us to grasp is connection. Now, you've got to give me a minute to review chapters 1 to 3 to see how we got to where our memory verse is. I'll try and be succinct, and I will hopefully be able to make a little bit of sense for you. If you just focus in, some of you, you know, Generation Z, you got that eight-second, you know, um, concentration time, all right? Every eight seconds, if you need to, slap yourself. And say, oh, listen to Gary again. Oh, listen to Gary again. Okay, I get that. It'll take a little longer than eight seconds, but follow with me. Nehemiah as a book, this won't be on the screen, just listen. Nehemiah's book opens up with this. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, came to pass in the month of Kislev, 20th year. I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. They said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So you understand where Nehemiah begins. Nehemiah is actually back in, uh, in Shushan. He's back with the king. As the end of the chapter says, he's the king's cupbearer. He has personal connection to the king. The cupbearer was that guy who tasted the king's food to make sure it wasn't poisoned. So he hasn't gone back to Jerusalem with that earlier group, some decades earlier, that went and rebuilt the temple. So somebody comes from there, and he gets a report, tell me what it's like, because he's only heard as to what's going on. And he's hoping to hear this great story of God doing magnificent things. And rather than being uplifted by what he hears about God's movement among the people back in Jerusalem, he hears something very discouraging, very disheartening that the people are in a stressful way because the city of Jerusalem has no walls. What happens with an unwalled city? They are continually susceptible to marauders, 
to people who come in with power and armies and things like that. It's a a precarious situation. And it isn't good. And so he weeps for what he hears. He confesses the sin of the nation because of what he hears. And he asks that God would use him to intervene and give him a voice with the king. So sometime later, chapter 2, turns out he's before, before the king and it's a rather dramatic scene. Actually, you might not pick up on it if you don't understand it, but um, the king recognizes that Nehemiah is in his presence and he is quite downtrodden. Now, you've got to understand, if you're the guy who tastes the king's food and you don't look happy in front of the king, that might alert the king that something could be wrong here. And so the king asks hey, what's up? (laughs) You know, there's a problem here. You don't look like you're supposed to look in my presence. Well, that can be a frightening thing to the people who in that day, they'd be like, man, you don't please the king, you're gone. All right? So he's honest with the king. God's giving him a hearing. He's honest with the king. He says, I can't be upbeat because of what's happening with my people back in Jerusalem. Ultimately, the king agrees to send Nehemiah, says, all right, they discussed this. How long would it take you to go help the situation? They come up with a plan. He sends Nehemiah with letters of permission and with letters that allow him to get the materials that he's going to need. He sends him off to go lead the people who are going to build that wall. And so, off he goes to build the wall. Now, you've got to understand, when he gets there, and he's got these letters, there are people who are not real, real happy about the situation. We read this in chapter 2, verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite of Israel heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Get that? These guys are deeply disturbed. The second part of chapter 2, we find Nehemiah at night secretly He goes and he circles the city and he examines the walls. Now, he'd never been there. He's seeing it for the first time. But he goes on this reconnaissance mission to figure out what is it that's going to need to happen here, secretly. And then he comes back. He devises a plan. He begins to let trusted people into his plan and and explain how it is that God called him and was calling them to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. And so he gathers these people together. But then we read in verse 19, as this is now beginning to take shape, but when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Notice it's the second time these guys show up. You get to chapter 3, and chapter 3 is one of those chapters we do not do our devotions in chapter 3. In fact, it's one of those chapters we're reading along. There's this exciting account of Nehemiah. You come to chapter 3, and you're just like, oh, one of these. Let's be honest, okay? Because here's how it goes. I'll give you the first, I'm going to give you two verses, and then understand the entire chapter is this stuff. We don't have to read the whole thing to get the idea. Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brethren the priests and built the sheep gate. 
They're starting construction on the wall. They consecrated it and hung its doors. They built as far as, far as the Tower of the Hundred and consecrated it. Then as far as the Tower of Hananel. Next to Elijah, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zechor, the son of Imri built. That's an entire chapter. Just listing who built and where they built. And so I say, we don't generally do our devotions in a place like that. But that's what is laid up, set up for us in the first three chapters. The wall is being built now. And then, chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Dave, if you could, here's where I want to pick it up. Now I want you to follow with, because this is going to come, roll right through our memory verse. But it so happened when Sanbel had heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews, and he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, he will break down their stone wall. So these two characters, a third time, show up. And what are they doing? They're like looking at the work, and they're just laughing at them. You feeble Jews, you have no idea what you're doing. You're using stones that have been burned. You don't have good construction material. Who's this Nehemiah guy? The guy was, you know, he's got soft hands. Look at his hands. He's got soft hands. The guy has never built anything in his life. He lived in the king's house. What does he know about building a wall? And they laugh at them to the point of saying, You know what? You think you're going to defend against an army that will come against you? Guess what? A little fox jumps on your wall and your construction is so bad, the fox will knock it down. And they laughed at them for the work which they had begun. And Nehemiah responds, verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Remember, he just came out of the land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Our memory verse. Now it happened, verse 7, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs... Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Friends, There are some things that we can grasp from this little account about our own labors as a church. We're finishing up a ministry year. It's been another wonderful year. And we're going to do ministry through the summer. That's going to be great. We're going to come back in the fall. We're going to labor together again in the fall. Whoever it is that God brings our way, we're having people leave us over the summer. They're moving away. I love them in Jesus, but I'll tell you what, it's hard. It is hard to watch them go. So we have to trust God for what's going to happen in their absence. But there are some things we learn from these builders that will help us understand as a body 
Where do we go? What do we do? How do we accomplish things? And so I'd just like to make three notes. Our success as a body requires one conviction about our labors. Now remember you got Sam Ballad and Tobiah, and they're constantly, they're bringing their accusations. And if you picked up on it, they are continually upping the ante. First, they were just disturbed that somebody came to seek Jerusalem's well-being. Next, they mocked them. that Oh, you're going to rebel against the king with a veiled threat inside of that, that once the king finds out, he'll stop you. Then they mocked them that because construction had started, now, oh, that fox, right? He'll just destroy it. You guys are terrible at what you're building. That's a joke if you call that a wall. And finally, when real progress was being made, they began a plan of literally military attack. The ante was being upped each step. Friends, here's what we need to remember. Like those building a wall as a church, we will always face headwinds. There will always be those things coming against us that will make it difficult to continue the work. Why is that? Very simply, we're in a spiritual battle. And the evil one is constantly looking for ways that he can shut us down. I absolutely promise you that when we were granted by God's grace the privilege of not only being involved at the fair this summer, but immediately rolled into that was to be able to bring in Lori Line. The evil one is going, yeah, I'm not winning this one right now. But he's going to do everything he can to make that difficult for us. It's just how it is. Amy prayed for the spiritual warfare that this team is going to experience. Because they will. They're going out seeking to, to serve God's kingdom. The evil one says, oh, let, me see if I can, let me see if I can make that a little bit harder. We will always face headwinds. And that being the case, here are two questions we have to be able to answer. Why are we doing this? And is God in it? Because if we know we're doing this, because this is for the kingdom, and we know God has affirmed to us, yes, he's in it, we'll keep going. We will be able to just... Move ahead. The phrase, so we built the wall. So we built the wall, verse 6 begins with. In light of all of these headwinds we were facing, we built the wall anyways. Significant. We need conviction about our labors. Why are we doing it? Is God in it? Secondly, our success as a body requires celebration of our labors. This is an important progress report that is given to us. The entire wall was joined together up to half its height. It's a progress report. It matters that it was given. Let's take a look. Can we get to that uh, PowerPoint, if we could, please? Let's take a look at what has happened here. You may not know it, but this is the mountain of, of Zion on which uh, Jerusalem is built. Okay, in this time frame, oh, oh my, just blinded myself. What do you know? Hmm. It was working earlier, wasn't it, Brent? You saw it. Oh, did you see it? There, all right, there. Okay, we'll go with this one. 
I'm trying to get the dot. Spin sp- must have spun in my pocket. Can you see that dot? Oh, you see that dot. Okay. The reason I put that dot right there is because this is the temple that was built a few decades past under Ezra. Came in, built the temple. Everybody was excited by the temple being built. That was building phase one. Now we have building phase two and they're building that wall. Eventually, as time went on, the wall for, okay, for Jerusalem would get spread out over here. Why is it such a, an odd shape? This is on a ridge of a hill. You've all heard by now that every time you're going to Jerusalem, they're going up to Jerusalem, right? Because it's on a mountaintop. Why a mountaintop? Because it's easily fortified and can be protected. Right over here, this is the Kidron Valley, right along on this side. And this is the valley that with the Mount of Olives over here, when Jesus, when he, uh, on the, um, with his triumphal entry, when they yelled, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, he came off the Mount of Olives, down into this valley and up into the city. Okay? Give you some, give you some sense of orientation as to what's happening. Now this progress report, as I've said, we only read the first part of chapter 3, but as it, here's what it was. We began with that first part, we began right here in the Sheep Gate, and it went along to here. And that progress report, if you read it step by step, and you can find maps that are far more detailed than this, but if you read it, it starts here, and here's who built 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 here, and it just goes all the way around the city, place by place by place for the entire chapter until they come back to here. So you see what they've done. They've just circled the entire area. They've encircled it. And so what's happened? The circle is not broken. Every area is covered. So what I want you to do with me now, I want you to just, let's make the circle, okay? Just like, take your hand like this with me. You're never going to forget Nehemiah from now on, all right? Take your hand with me now. We start up here. We just come around, and we say, the circle is not broken. You will forever remember Nehemiah's about building a wall, all right? Or you'll just say, he's getting crazier, what do we do with him? Now, why does it matter that they mention every single individual? Because any breach can be lethal. So let's say the guys that are supposed to be building here, they decide, ah, you know, I'm not that interested. When the attacks come, where are they, where are they going to bring the attack? They go, oh, you know, they built this entire wall, but right here, we got about 50, 60 feet that nobody built. We think we can get through there. Any breach in the wall is going to be lethal. Because there, don't forget, there are military attacks being planned against that. So what does that mean? That means that everyone matters. There's a reason people are listed by name and location, one right after the other, because every contribution mattered. He's not noting distinctions between people. He's noting connections This one worked here, the next one worked here, the next one worked here. Friends, that speaks to us. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 speaks of the whole body growing up to maturity. And it says it's based upon this. What every singular individual contributes to the body as a whole is necessary. So that the whole can become what it needs to be. Same concept right here as Nehemiah is building. Notice that it's been built to half of its height. See, Nehemiah might say, yeah, he's a really the glass is half full kind of guy. It's not just that the glass is half full, friends. There's one bit more to that we have to catch. The glass is half full at this point and trending upwards. 
That's what is going to bring it to its completion. Friends, we are going to be successful as a body when we have celebration of our labors. We need to affirm everyone who contributes. And I have, I have learned, I've already referenced it because my heart truly does break over this. I tease these people, but deep down inside my heart breaks for people who move away. We, we, we have lost a lot of people who life, God's directing them to different places. And I celebrate what God's doing in their lives, but I know those, it's the, it's, those places are going to receive a blessing to have our people move into them. It breaks my heart to see that happen. But it, it, it speaks to this issue that we have to embrace what everyone contributes I won't, I won't be specific with it. But I recall a number of years ago when somebody, right within this fellowship, somebody who was willing to serve in a particular place was dismissed from service by others who were involved in that place. And at least as they described it to me, they were not even real sure why they were dismissed from service. But they just were. And for the life of me, I do not understand when people are such a high priority, when people are, 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 are such a high value, people are what make us who we are. I don't understand in the context of basically a volunteer army. Well, years ago, we just dismissed someone. Just dismissed them. We didn't put them in another place. We didn't explain why. We didn't say, hey, we think your giftedness would be better over here. None of that. They were just dismissed. And they're not involved with that ministry anymore. I go, I don't get it. Because we're always struggling to find people. And I find, you know, sometimes people, they come, they will serve with us for a couple months. Sometimes people will serve with us for a couple years. Sometimes they might be here 10 years and then God moves them on. And it, it's painful to watch them go. But I don't understand dismissing them. So I'm just trying to get, because everybody's contribution is necessary. And we have to place such a high value on people who are willing to contribute and give of themselves to service and serving alongside of us. Because what if, on the, oh, that map's gone, but what if on that place that I mentioned, what if somebody said, hey, you know what? I don't think we need your labors today. Why don't you just let that section go? We're fine without you. Hello, gaping hole in the wall. Well, that's how we're going to be in the body of Christ if we just dismiss people for unknown reasons. That It's like, no, we've got, we've got to value everyone. And make sure that their place of ministry, however long God has them here in whatever context, that we embrace it. Um, another thing that happens relative to this stuff is, uh, and they're not, it's not a dismissing kind of a thing, but I'm looking for Tim's face. He's probably got the kids out there, Mr. Faithfulness. Um, Tim Kivio, oh, where is he? Is, is he there? I don't, oh, there he is, Tim. Okay. He has sensed God saying it's time for him to step down from a leadership role in Awana. All right, and here's a guy, faithfulness, this is his middle name. Um, that's painful to watch, but it's the right thing. He knows, he listens to the voice of God. He knows what's right for his life. He's willing, I think, to assist a little bit, but the leadership role, somebody else has to fill that in. And it's not like there's, Paul, you got a whole lot of people to draw from? Don't, don't. Paul's going, he, as they want a commander, he's like, yeah, it's not easy finding leaders to step in and fill places in Awana, all right? So you put a high value on the people who do what Tim does, don't you? Because there's not that many. 
And so, friends, people are, are of ultimate value to us. And everyone willing to contribute matters. Everyone is significant because God will use them in their particular place. So, we need, our success as a body requires, one, conviction about our labors, two, a celebration of our labors in that everyone matters, and three, our success as a body requires determination for our labors. Because that verse ends, our memory verse, for the people had a mind to work. They were determined to get something done. It wasn't like they were in it half-hearted. It's not like they well, I'll do it until it's no longer convenient. You know, I'll do it if people treat me nice. I'll do it if all, everything falls my way. It's like, look, this task needs to happen and we're going to get it done. They had a mind to work. And, see, success starts between our ears. The first question we asked is, is God in it? This question says, are we in it? Are we serious that God's calling us as a church to be engaged in kingdom work? Are we serious enough that we say, I'm in. I am in. And whatever it takes, I'm going to find how God is going to use me because I'm committed to work. I'm committed that my life needs to count for the kingdom. My priorities are arranged around that because winning starts between our ears without a mind to work we can say all the nice things we want to say but we will never get it done if we're not committed to working the cool thing is if you were to look at Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15 you'd find out they built the wall they completed it amidst all of these pressures in 52 days an amazing account and God Worked a victory among the Israelites. Friends, it's summer. I understand that. It's, summer's going to be summer. We're going to have some great summer ministry, and God's going to do some significant things. I ask you to really be a part of encouraging people about the 29th when we're going to be out at the, we're going to be out at the uh, fair. What a magnificent blessing we have. Don't lose sight. It, even if your involvement is prayer, don't lose sight of the fact that next week there's a sale. We've got people in Bulgaria. The following week is horse camp. We've got people going to Vienna. We've got youth going to Challenge. There's a lot going on. We've got a 13, 14-year-old horse camp coming up. We've got men's trout lake happening. There's a lot going on. It just doesn't have the same form as what we typically do through the year. So be praying about these things. Be involved in these things as God, as God calls you. And we trust that we're going to come back in the fall. We say, okay, now it's time to start our yearly ministry again. We're going to trust God to give us success. We have a hope for success if we've got a conviction about our labors. If we are willing to have a celebration for our labors and if we have a determination for our labors. May God get the glory. Father, it's good to be among your people. It's good to work with your people, Lord. It's good as, as it's listed in Nehemiah 3 about shoulder to shoulder to shoulder. They accomplished it because the people had a mind to work. Lord, we have served this last year shoulder to shoulder. We hope to serve over this summer shoulder to shoulder, but in different contexts. We ask that you will fill in those places where we are going to see gaps because precious people, people whom we cherish, you have called away to other places, Lord. 
We ask your blessing on them, that you will use them as they plug a wall somewhere else. May they know your grace and your goodness in their lives. Oh, Father, we want, we want our lives, we want this fellowship to count for the kingdom. May we orient ourselves and yield ourselves to your leading in our lives that we might be the most effective people we can be. May we be able to build our section of the wall, Lord, as you call us. In Jesus' name, amen.